Hello, welcome to Adopt Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 19 of The Amber Spyglass, Lyra and Her Death. Um, I've been told recently that the way I say hello sounds like somebody from Hull. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's because you're Northern Northern and I'm Posh Northern. If I was saying hello, I'd go hello. Hello. <laughs> See, I say hello and I think it's the uh. So any listeners from Hull, do I sound like you? Please let me know. <laughs> I want to know. Hello. I'm just going to keep saying hello now. <laughs> cool. Cool. You can, Well, you know what? You're a podcast editor, so what you can do is you can cut it and then save it as your text tone. So every time you get a text <laughs> message or a WhatsApp, it'll, it'll be you going, hello. Hello. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it so that you can have it as well. I'll send it around the country. We can, we can make it uh, like a Patreon reward. <laughs> yeah. Our voice is going, hello. Hello. <laughs> the text tone. <laughs> oh, my God. Brilliant. Assuming okay. that people still have their phones on loud. I haven't had my phone on loud in like 10 years. Yeah, same. I think mine's just always on vibrate. Yeah. We should totally make a polyphonic ringtone of the theme oh tune. How God. cute would that uh, be? I love polyphonic <laughs> ringtones. I love the like um the polyphonic ones, but also the ones before that that you'd have on like your Nokia thirty three ten or whatever. That was like the beeping that you would go on that website and then you'd be able to like put in the like code to get like busted air hostess which was the first thing that came to my mind <laughs> yes uh yeah i definitely had oh what song was it i can't even remember the song but it was definitely one it was at the end of like smtv live or something they'd flash up and it'd be like a screen and it'd be these are all the numbers you can text or like in the back of girl yes. talk i think they had them as well yes. yeah Oh, blast from the past. Oh, remember as well, like, oh my God, people that are young, you're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But remember <laughs> when you had a phone and you had to put credit on it? So you had to put like £10 on it or whatever, and then it would cost you 10p per text. So if I was texting you, it would cost me 10p. And then if you went into two, like if you went over a certain character limit, that would cost you 20p. And I remember, do you have, did you ever use the, oh, I can't remember the website's name. It was something fish. And it was like, if you ran out of credit, you could text somebody for free on the website. Um, and then it'd say like, this message was sent by whatever website it was. And then they'd get the text. But you'd have to have like a computer and like computers weren't actually that popular. Like, you know, like not oh. everyone had them. So I used to do it at my friend's house. Nice. To text my, uh, my, my first boyfriend. I just remember going through and deleting all of the extraneous vowels just to be able to fit one last word in. But I still managed to fit like five kisses at the end of text. Oh, yeah. They were all essential. Uh, everything else was vowels. They're not necessary. Essential was TB. <laughs> text back. TB. TB. TB XX. Text back. <laughs> As if like you, somebody wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, the fuckboys that I fucked around with never did. Would, would not. Would no. not TB. Well... No. Well, indeed. God, how dare <laughs> What a great little nostalgia run for the beginning of the episode. It's great. I mean, 
I was going to say, what have we been up to? And I was going to tell everyone that we went to see Phoebe Bridges and it was mm-hmm. great. I uh, went to see her in Manchester and absolutely, legitimately bawled my eyes out. I was like, usually if I like cry at like a gig or a film, it's like, do you know, like the single tear, like the classic, mm-hmm. oh, oh, let me wipe it away. I was literally shaking. Like our friend Matt had just like, patting me on the back like are you yeah, okay there. yeah I was like, <laughs> no I am not okay but interestingly when we saw her in Brixton I didn't cry at all I think I got all the tears out in Manchester you just you did everything I think because I almost did when I you know when you're singing along to something and it gives you like the nose tinglies yeah and your eyes just like get missed up a little bit yeah um it was that a little bit but you know what somebody nearby us smelled a bit like feet or there was a general aroma of feet in the area and it, it really ruined the mood <laughs> Agreed. Terrible. Agreed. It was a very hot day. It was Everyone hot. Everyone was really sweaty. It was grim. <laughs> I was on like the first day of my period as well, so it's quite heavy. But which is kind of poetic for Phoebe Bridges, I guess. That was probably why it got you on two days prior yeah. as well. Yeah, that's true. Fun bit of PMS. Yeah, Yay. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. Um, she was so fucking good. Like her production was really good. Yeah, I loved all the like storybook illustrations. They were really cool. Yeah. And we all did a big scream. We did. We did that a scream and I know the end and it was very cathartic. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really nice. Um, I'm like a huge Phoebe fan. It's been a long time since I've seen a band or an artist that I know for sure that I will know every single song they play and I will know every word to it. That's kind of usually for me like reserved for like Paramore. Um, mm. So it was nice to have like another artist that I have that for. Apart from the last song, which I didn't know. And then I was like, I'm going to buy my merch. Goodbye. Oh my God. And we needed to. It was so busy. Yeah, it was. It Got was. trapped in the merch queue. Yeah. And then we bumped into Neil. Neil. Special friend of Goblet of Wine podcast. Yeah. It was really cute. He spotted us outside the gig and said hi. So uh, hi from Herd Art Materials to everybody's favourite Goblet of Wine host. The one that's not actually a host. Yeah. Neil. Yeah. Hi, Neil. It was lovely. And we definitely need to arrange that drink for sure. Um when Hannah and Charlie are back from Florida. Yeah, fancy pantses. And uh, they will be back by now because this is coming. We're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves again, which is... Uh, very organised. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah, it's very organised for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't... I, I've done loads and also nothing, if that makes sense. Because like, I went away, like I went to Whitby, I went to Manchester, I went to Wakefield, I went to Rotherham, I went everywhere. But then, like, this week, I've done literally nothing because I've just been so tired from doing everything. Have you recorded since you went to Whitby and enjoyed all the goths? I don't know. Have we? I don't think think we have because because I've been moving house. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was while I was in the middle of moving, so we didn't record. Faye went to Whitby and saw all the goths. I did. I'm really jealous and want to go. I haven't been since I was, like, a teenager. I'd never been. I loved it. I thought it was great. They have a goth festival as well. I, I really want to go. I know we should go for that. That'd be really busy there. But like, it was really beautiful. I obviously loved all the like goth Dracula stuff because that is absolutely my vibe. I had like a fucking banging like seafood dinner as well. Oh, loved it. But yeah, it was just really nice. I loved it. I I just love being near the sea. So I did. I did my favorite thing, which was sit on some rocks right near the where the water is and just like drink some cans. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> Nice. I feel like you're built to have grown up in a beach town and then fated to have grown up in a very, very landlocked county. 
Yeah. <laughs> about as far from the sea as you can get where we are in like near Sheffield. <laughs> for sure. No, I agree. I agree. But no, it was lovely. I really enjoyed it. And we should go for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because I went with our friend Matt and Matt was like, surely Rachel has been here. Has she been before? He was like, has she got a lucky duck? Surely she's perused Whitby. And I was like, I'm actually not sure. I've been, but it was a long time ago. And there's a lovely little beach down just down the coast called Robin Hood's Bay. And that is, um, we've been there quite a few times as a family. Cute. Yeah. Very cute. Classic Hayes family trip. Well, I moved house. (laughs) Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So if my voice sounds different, it's because we're working with some new acoustics, which is fun. I'm recording in my little office room, which I get to have all to myself, which is feels very gratuitous and exciting. And I've got a little desk space that's basically set up to like podcast whenever i don't have to pack all my equipment away every single time which is great love that (laughs) amazing and i am so tired Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm also tired i'm just tired it's fine Mm -hmm. it's all good it's all good the stress will be over for me pretty soon handing over the keys to the old flat and then i get to just settle in and unpack and it's really nice and Faye's coming over tomorrow night to watch the Bob's Burgers movie. So in the next podcast episode, we'll give you a review <laughs> of the Bob's Burgers movie and how good the burgers that we will probably eat while we watch it are. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 100%. Well, yeah, I would like to mention, or we both would like to mention, uh, T-shirts again. Merch, 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 yeah. merch, merch. <laughs> Come on, buy our merch, 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 merch. <laughs> In the first month we released the new t-shirts, lots of you bought them, so thank you so much. We are doing the... I, we've said it a million times, but I just like to reiterate that we do it on like a... I suppose like a monthly rolling system where we ship out orders at the beginning of each month, within the first two weeks of each month. Um, and that's because we get them printed and shipped to me especially, and then I do all the packaging and stuff just makes it easier for us to like keep the shop open all year round rather than doing what we did last time which was open it for a set amount of time Mm -hmm. so yeah if you're listening to this episode now this episode is airing on the 22nd of august which means you've got about a week and a half to get your orders in for the batch that will get printed in the first week of september yeah absolutely nice (laughs) so do it if you can um do it and also if you bought uh, t-shirts in the first run in the in the shipment that was sent out in August please send us pictures of you wearing it yeah and if you have any of the original run of t-shirts as well which are still going strong they're, they're still in the shop if you want a logo t-shirt or a big Coulter energy t-shirt mm-hmm. yeah yeah send us selfies <laughs> absolutely we want to repurse them and we'd love to see them so yeah send send them in please mm-hmm. yes yes I believe, Rich, you wanted to talk about some narcissist stuff again. So I have a correction (laughs) for a podcast and a half ago. Um, When I was off the top of my head remembering the story of Narcissus in our little chat that we had about vanity and our gorgeous Patreon community came forth and our amazing listener, Leanne, popped in on our latest podcast episode feed which is a channel in our discord so if you're listening to the latest episode it's a great place to like chat about your feelings as you're listening and everyone kind of catches up there on like a monday and tuesday it's really cute so leanne said 
As a Greek mythology nerd, I was excited to hear about the Narcissus conversation. The most well-known version of this is Ovid's story of Echo and Narcissus. Echo was a talkative nymph who pissed off Juno slash Hera, and Ovid was Roman, so tended to use the Roman names. So that's the guy that wrote the stories. She pissed off Juno slash Hera by spreading rumours, so she cursed her to only repeat what others say, hence the possible origin of the word Echo. Echo fell in love with Narcissus, but because she could only repeat what he was saying and not answer him properly, he rejected her cruelly, and Echo went off to spend the rest of her life in a cave, which is why caves Echo. That's so cool. I love that. Right? I love, like, mythological stuff like that. It's so cute. Um, Nemesis, the goddess of revenge, decided to... Uh, decided to curse him for how he treated Echo and cursed him to fall in love with his own reflection. And so in some versions, he turns into a flower in a, uh, in a fit of passion when he realises his, that his reflection can't love him back. And in other versions, he wastes away because he's so obsessed with his own reflection looking at it. And when his family come to give him his funeral, his body is missing and a flower is in his place. And uh, Narcissus is like the word for daffodil and so that's the flower that he turns into a daffodil which is great um i love that i love that i just about misremembered enough of it to be able to talk about it and i love that we have listeners who are much more well-versed in their greek and roman mythology love to hear also nemesis is a great name for the goddess of truly i did not know that that's where that word came from yeah that's exactly (laughs) what i was just gonna say like i love because i'm not like that well-versed on this kind of stuff and i love hearing like where popular words that we know have come from it's really cool and also just like i think that a lot of the mythology around these things is so clever you know like she goes to live in a cave and that's why caves echo that's so cool and they're always so brutal as well because that's such a brutal punishment do you know what i mean they're always horribly brutally punished and it's just like they are so brutal also there's like a tradition within greek and roman mythology um so a podcast that i really enjoyed listening to for a while i need to get back into is called spirits podcast and they talk about like they recap like cultural uh cultural stories and myths and legends and folklore and folk tales and like all sorts of stuff and they include cryptids sometimes but whenever they go into greco-roman mythology oh my god the amount of stories that are just zeus is a fuck boy um (laughs) are numerous and like the amount of things where it's like oh so like basically like people getting turned into plants and animals and also Zeus turning himself into animals in order to sneak up on people and fuck them. And people being turned into plants and animals while trying to flee from a god that is pursuing them to fuck them. Basically seems to be like a massive theme within a lot of the mythology. Like awful. It's super grim. Mm, That is fucking grim. Yeah, for sure. (sighs) But yeah, thank you, Leon. That was great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, if you want to get involved on our like latest episode catch up chats, then the Discord server is where to be, and you can join it by becoming a patron at patreon.com yeah. forward slash HDM pod. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Hey Faye. Hi. What would your demon have been this week? Good question. Oh, I know this. I was like, I did my notes yesterday, so I was like, can I remember? I do, I do remember. So, I I think you're going to be a bit surprised at this. The basically the reason why I'm doing this is because I couldn't I couldn't think of one. And every day I sit in my desk chair and I look 
at this post here that you won't be able to see and it is Paramore's brand new eyes album cover and it's a butterfly so what it actually is is Haley found um a dead butterfly in her back garden and they like pulled it they pulled the wings off and they pinned it to her fence and took a picture of it and that's what the brand new eyes album cover is um, okay yeah so I just, I was like, I'm going to be a butterfly because... Because you feel like having your wings torn off and being stuck to a fence? Or? Yeah, yeah. Just because I was thinking about, a lot about Brand New Eyes as an album because me and Zach on our Paramore podcast are nearly up to Brand New Eyes. We're just finishing Riot. Um, and I've just been looking at that butterfly. So I'm like, maybe I'd do a, like Adele, Adele Star Minister, I want to say her name is. Yeah. And have a little mm-hmm. butterfly. Even though I really... I like hate moths and they're essentially the same thing. Um, but yeah, I think I could do do with a butterfly. How big would you go? Would you go like a classic little monarch butterfly from the garden or like a little peacock one or like a... I'm thinking, so no, not a massive one. And I'm also <laughs> like, because the one, I don't know what type of butterfly the brand new eyes one is. It's like yellow and black. But I'm thinking in Animal Crossing... There's like these little um, white butterflies that fly around. They're quite like small. Oh, like a cabbage patch butterfly. Yeah, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're the most common ones I I've seen around. Like you quite often get them having a little float through the garden. I think one of them. Yeah. Nice. Nice. What What about you? Well, as you know, I've just moved house, uh, and so I am going for a hermit crab because nice. it would have been nice if I could have just taken my house with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not had to worry about moving, but also like gonna get all metaphorical on it um hermit crabs in order to grow they need to like move into a bigger shell and if you don't let the if they stay in a smaller shell it can like stunt their growth and they can get really depressed so like me moving into a space that's like a little bit bigger i'm moving from living with housemates to just living with my partner and it's like i'm hoping that this new space is going to give me space to grow love it a bit and like settle into myself a bit more which will be nice and also hermit crabs they get lonely and sad if they're on their own for too long so you have to get them a little partner to put in a um in there if you have like a pet hermit crab in their tank you've got to get them a partner because otherwise they get sad like bunnies um and also, you have to like give them like a like a shell collection to choose from because if there's not enough shells to choose from, they'll fight with each other to get the best one. So you have to give them. So I feel like they're quite like picky about aesthetics as well. Yeah, <laughs> just feels right for me. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's a great choice. Yeah, great bloody choice. Last chapter, Will and Lyra made a plan for how to get to the land of the dead. While stocking up on food, they found a dead body and fled to another world through a different feeling window. They met the ghost of the dead man, decided to follow him on his journey and found themselves in a ghost town. In this chapter, Lyra, Will and the gang meet a family and their deaths in the ghost town. Lyra summons her own death to find out how to get to the land of the dead. So many dead things. Honestly. So many dead things. This is the most goth chapter and I this loved it. So this much. chapter, honestly, <laughs> I loved it so much. I think it might be my favourite chapter we've done so far. Ooh, bold claim. Mm-hmm. I fucking mm-hmm. loved it. It was so goth. Yeah, I feel like I've pulled out more quotes from this chapter or like felt the want to like underline more things in this chapter than anything else because it's just very poetic. 
it's very poetically written. It's very like full of statements that resonate quite strongly and imagery that's really cool and like yeah, it's a good it's a good chapter. Yeah, it really is. It's such a good chapter. First things first. Mm-hmm. What's that bloody picture oh, of there? Fuck, I forgot. <laughs> so right, guess, and then I'll tell you why I don't really. What is there? Really guess, and then I'll tell you is, why I don't. Is really it guess. an old man in a bed like this? <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's like is it like a little house? No, little I don't shack. really understand. Like it's like a little cross thing. But that's there's that is that in the chat because I was thinking maybe it's that um do you know where this is like frame of the like yeah like table? a little like almost altar situation yeah, yeah. I don't Could really be, get where but... that comes up no so it's not really described anywhere I don't yeah think. to the to everyone listening it's like a cross like an altar vibe like a cross on an altar with like a heart and some X's and it's very weird I don't remember this being actually in the chapter. Yeah, mm, interesting. Very strange. But yes, tell us about tell us about the quote. The quote is I was angry with my friend, I told my wrath, my wrath did end. I do like and this. I like this one. Mm-hmm, I love that it rhymes. It's from uh one of our, our favourite spooky bitch poet, William Blake. Hell yeah. Um and yeah, just it's, it's a good poem. Do you want me to read you the whole poem? It's only four stanzas sure it's not it's not too long it's called a poison tree i thought you'd learn it then because you like you look like you're getting ready and you like weren't looking at your screen i was like oh i've memorized it and i'm going to do a dramatic reading (laughs) no my days of memorizing lines are long behind me okay it's called a poison tree I was angry with my friend i told my wrath my wrath did end i was angry with my foe I told it not, my wrath did grow. And I watered it in fears, night and morning with my tears, and I sunned it with smiles and soft deceitful wiles. Uh, And it grew both day and night till it bore an apple bright, and my foe beheld it shine, and he knew that it was mine. And into my garden stole, when night had veiled the pole, in morning glad I see my foe outstretched beneath the tree. That's really cool. It's cute. It's like, it's a nice, like, short little thing. The I was reading up on it on one of my favourite super dumbed down poetry websites, Schmoop, Schmoop dot com, um, where they like do a really good job of a kind of an annoying job of like uh, simplifying it all for you. It's kind of like it's definitely like a GCSE revision guide. Um, so they try and be cool, and it's annoying, but it's it's very digestible to read about. But the basic story of the poem that's being told here is. He, the main protagonist of the poem that it's from the point of view of, is mad at a friend and they talked it out and they were no longer mad. They were mad at an enemy and instead of talking it out, they stewed on it and it grew into an apple, which the enemy then stole and ate and it killed them. Love it. So the moral of that story is talk it out with your friends, feed your enemy poison apples. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, like the... I guess like there isn't a I don't feel like it's a clear moral. I feel like it should have been like and I should have also talked yeah, about yeah. my enemy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like no 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 stew on that wrath for your enemy, water it with your fears and in your tears <laughs> and sun it with smiles and de- deceitful wiles and then kill him with an apple. Well that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's like there's no um indication on whether they're like happy or sad about the person dying. 
And it's like that it could be like, oh shit, I killed him and I shouldn't have. I should have just talked to him. But then equally it could be like, I killed him and good, actually. Yeah. And also like it goes from talking about feelings that like this makes sense. I was angry with a friend. I told my wrath, my wrath did end. That's yeah, that's nice. It's the kind of thing your your like mum or your nan might like repeat back to you if you're like talking about how you're mad at your friend and they're like, talk to him about it and you'll be less mad. But then I was angry with my foe. I told it not my wrath did grow. Okay. But then the fact that it then goes on to talking, going from a metaphorical apple to an apple that your foe literally steals and eats and dies, it like gets a little bit confused at the end there. But yeah, we love it. We love we love a little bit of Blakey and we know that Phil does too. So yeah, nice short and sweet one this time. I've not recited an entire play to you, so that's nice. Yes, I love <laughs> it. I mean, I do enjoy it when you do that, but it is nice to have a little short one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, let's get into it. Lyra and her death. Yeah, I was just thinking how that poem relates to this chapter. Do you think it's more about Lyra and Tally? They have a big fight. It could be them having a big fight. It could be about Lyra keeping her death her death at like an yeah. arm's distance and yeah. then and then speaking to them to like ease that level of like anxiety she feels around them. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, here we go. Here we go. They're in a town now, which is, it's the like refugee style town that we, that was mentioned last chapter. And it's very much that I get, you get the vibe that it once was a like quite nice town with buildings and churches and nice things. And they've all crumbled and fallen. And now in between the destruction, I guess, is there's like little shanty houses and tents and well i imagine tents but it's probably not it's like it says that they were built from like some of the materials that came from the buildings that fell um so yeah it's very um very makeshift yeah what i want to know and i don't think it's ever explained is like where are the materials coming from where is the food coming from where are these buildings coming from because like there were buildings and materials and things there when they first cut through to the land of the dead or to this suburb of the dead actually before they started walking and everything faded away but then everything faded away and it was just emptiness is the equipment that people are building from and the buildings that exist there are they the things that people have like that have stuck in their memories or that they've like taken with them somehow like I'm trying to I want to know where it came from like is it a pre-existing thing is there is there just junk in this other world like I'm or is it also interested to know how how a lot of the people there got there accidentally mm-hmm. i wonder if it's coma victims Ooh. or like yeah people that are going mm. through yeah having comas or strokes or something that renders you alive but like not present yeah because then i wonder if people that's an interesting theory because then it's like people could be there for like a really short amount of time if if you know if like say if you you went in a coma but you were unconscious for like a a certain amount of days or like a week or whatever i wonder if you'd appear there and then disappear there once you woke up again yeah i'm trying to think of other things that would theory (laughs) yes could it be people that got spected 
something's happened to their consciousness Mm. it's no longer with their body we know this from the way they act after they've been inspected could it be that but then it's like they're alive people like lyra and will so like there is a physical body there they're not a ghost in the same way so how how have they traveled there there's children Mm. there there's a baby there yeah also i don't know how long that it seems like that this is me being quite judgmental but it seems like that family and I feel the same about the quiet place randomly. It seems like that family has been there for quite a long time. Why have they had a baby? Why have they, ch- like, it might have been an accident. I understand that. Same with the quiet place because she has a baby. Emily Blunt's character has a baby in the quiet place. Uh, and I'm just like, why would you risk it? Why would you risk it? You can't look after this child where you are. I, there's nothing that tells you me this. I just assumed the baby was in the exact same position as the adults in that it was somewhere between life and life and death in the same way that I kind of just assumed that everyone that was there was kind of suspended in whatever age they are that they got there but then that doesn't make sense because obviously the old lady her death's like moved in with her and she's yeah. obviously aged so like yeah it's hard to yeah. like decipher isn't it because like I thought okay so like you know, if your theory was true about, like, if they were in a coma or whatever, it could be like, oh, they were all in a car accident or they were all in a horrible accident in, you know, I mean, they're in, like, a hospital somewhere. Mm. But if they're actually physically there, like, say if they're, like, if the family just accidentally ended up there one day and in with their physical bodies and it is actually a place physically that you can live and then they had a baby there, I'd be like, number one, it doesn't, like, she must have gone through so much pain and like trauma from giving birth assuming that there's like not a hospital or like anyone around to help her and it's the same with the quiet place don't be having babies when you can't make any noise (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't think it was intentional right this is what i mean don't think they've got great healthcare access there actually this is is why i'm saying i'm being a bit judgmental because i'm i'm saying like (laughs) why would you even risk it you know why would you risk it in that situation but this is coming from me who probably would risk it (laughs) but that's what i mean about i'm being just to feel something (laughs) (laughs) exactly i'm just being a judgmental bitch okay but that was my first thought i'm like why is there a baby there why have they had a baby i i don't i just assume that the baby got there in the same way that they did i didn't necessarily even assume it was some of the because like the family that are living in that house i don't know that they're necessarily related that's true. I kind of just assumed they'd like they were like a found family of pe- people that had all ended up there accidentally and became a support group. But again, we don't get a ton of info from Phil. It's just kind of there, and it's also because Lyra is very intent on telling her own stories and not asking any questions except for the ones that benefit her and her journey. So. Oh, sure, a hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, the ghosts are like hurrying along to get somewhere. And there's loads more now. Um. And there's a, what was a metaphor that I liked? Oh, okay. So the ghosts who had come with them were hurrying towards the town and from every direction came more of them. So many that they looked like the grains of sand that trickle towards the hole of an hourglass. I thought that was a nice little metaphor. Oh, a simile, actually. Yes. And the symbolism there, we know the symbolism of the like hourglass on the alethiometer is like the hourglass in the skull and that also represents death. So it's very like appropriate for the symbolism within the book. And also like if you read Terry Pratchett, you know that like the whole thing with death um, is like he has a room full of hourglasses that are like ticking people's time away for them. And so like 
we love a bit of hourglass imagery in a very gothy chapter. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so somebody stops Will and Lyra and he's alive. And he looks like a like a customs person. Mm-hmm. I thought you were about to say he looks like a customer service guy. And I was like, oh, that too, yeah. Yeah, almost. <laughs> Pretty similar. Um, and he says that they have to wait in the holding area because they're not dead. And he like gives them some papers to pass on to somebody else. And it's all very unclear. And then we learn that like this is a suburb of the land of the dead. Um, and then this is where we learn that the living go there by mistake. And then they have to wait there until they die. Yeah. Also, so we've had Lyra's also says the world of the dead on this page. So we had a debate before we started recording about whether it was land of the dead or world of the dead. Turns out it's interchangeable because Lyra uses both. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then we learned that the dead get carried out uh, on out of the town on a boat and he can't tell them where they go. So this isn't actually the land of the dead. This is like the place before. And to get to the land of the dead, you have to go by boat. But they won't tell them what is after the boat after you get there what happens we don't know we don't know yeah he has like a really odd vibe and i have a theory about him and the other bureaucratic type people that we meet so far um because like half a page after they receive the papers will and lyra are chatting and like will mention looks at the papers and they're just scraps of paper from a notebook with like random words scribbled on them in pencil like it doesn't feel official and it says it was as if these people were playing a game and waiting to see when travelers would challenge them or give in and laugh and yet it all looks so real and my theory is that the paperwork system they've invented for themselves kind of staves off of like the hopelessness of not knowing when you will you will be moving on like they've implemented a system even if it's just for the look of it and just kind of imaginary and like play like they've invented a system to stop themselves from going mad and by like bringing in some bureaucracy from the world of the living to the world of the dead it makes them feel like there's some order to the clear chaos that exists there yeah that was my kind of theory behind it like it is just like that's what's holding those people together is like the idea that there is some system behind it but who knows if there is or not phil made a conscious choice at least in this part of the book to make dying and death a really horrible thing like a real like grim ass thing as in like where they are now yeah it doesn't sound like a nice process that's for sure no it's not um floating into the air and becoming a ball of light you know like like it is in the movies like it is um, in the films the talk is yeah. so the guy another thing about the guy that gives him the paperwork is that he again kind of links into my theory he says it's a port of transit and they go on by boat and Will's like where to where to and he's like that's not something I can tell you said the man and a bitter smile pulled his mouth down at the corners you must move along please you must go to the holding area and I think that's him being like he doesn't know he hasn't got a fucking clue, yeah, yeah, but he's yeah. making himself feel official. So he's like, oh, no, I can't tell you. But like the bitter smile is just a who the fuck knows. Like, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. The dragonflies are sleepy. They're tired. This is a really funny image to me of the spies on, is it Lyra's shoulders? And the yeah. dragonflies on Will's backpack. And Pan is a leopard oh, and he's looking up he's at, li- at the spies on Lyra's shoulder and he's jelly. He's so jelly. He's, he's so, so jelly. jelly. It's so cute. Pan has like 
a rough chapter this chapter, but a good chapter this chapter. For one thing, he actually gets to speak in a bit. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, that's always nice. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. Um. So they walk for a while and they finally get to like a shack and give a random man the papers that have just got scribbles on them. And he tells them to just go and find somewhere to stay. And again, I think that links into your theory of that nobody's got a fucking clue what they're doing because it's just like go and find somewhere to stay. So what I was trying to work out from this is, is the entire makeshift suburb city that's existing here, is that all people that are alive and waiting, that got here by accident, alive and waiting to die? Or are there also ghosts living here too? Because the ghosts all seem to just like flow through the town with purpose. Are they all just going straight to the river? And also the the two men that work there that are alive don't seem to have deaths. Like it's not mentioned unless their deaths are just like hiding somewhere because we obviously we learn that they don't have to be like near you all the time. Yeah. I think that it's probably separated in terms of like the ghosts go straight on and the people that are alive just stay in the village. Yeah, which means there's like a massive population of people that got there somehow, somewhere. Exactly. And how the fuck did they get there? <laughs> but I guess that's the thing is like if there is I don't know. Like how big is the how big is the town? <laughs> it's hard like it's really hard to visualise. And again, very excited to see how they do it in the T V series. hundred percent. And also For that reason. <laughs> yeah, just like a wider point. Is this the land of the dead for every single world? Like every single world goes to this land of the dead when they die or is there different spaces and different worlds for different worlds if that makes any sense is there a different world of dead people for different worlds so i think lyra half covered it with tally and sally because they said they don't believe in an afterlife and they just think that when you go you go and we don't have any hints so far that, that anyone's seen any any Galavespians here. So I wonder, and like we've not seen any hint of, you know, like a Malefa or anything like that. True. So I wonder if it is different based on your beliefs. But again, is Tally and Sally also, we don't believe that we go anywhere after we die. That doesn't mean that they know what the truth is. So like we we don't I think we don't know it's not explained. It'd be interesting as well, wouldn't it? Because like if it was related to the particular world that you're from, that would mean that Will would go somewhere different when he dies. Yeah, I would think surely it's well no that would explain why there's so many people. If it is all the collective, yeah, anyone that's stuck in the in between from every single world, that would make sense as to why it would be so overpopulated. Plus, for every one person, you've actually got two people, as we're about to find out. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, such an interesting chapter. Okay. I love this. There's, this is one of the most world buildiest chapters we've had from Phil in a really long time. Yeah. And I'm so glad to be getting stuck into it because like, it feels so different to a lot of the other chapters we've had that have basically been to get us here. <laughs> yes, 100%. So this town that they're in now where the guys told them to go and find somewhere to stay is very similar to like the main town. It's like shabby huts. It's very dark. And they notice that there are people sitting in the darkness, but they're not people and they're not ghosts. So what are they? We have a new entity to discuss that Phil does quite a nice job of stringing us along and establishing a vibe before we fully find out towards the end of the chapter. So I fucking love this so much. The concept of your death, of there being a creature that is your death and your death actually being really courteous and nice and people finding it comforting depending on who you are obviously 
and the description of them, the the lore of them, like everything. I find it really beautiful and I really loved it when it's the grandma that's closer to death and like her death's like laid next to her. Like I think it's so cool. And it's probably one of my favourite, I suppose, like beings that we've had in his dark materials so far. And then it made me wonder, and I won't get into it because it'll be depressing AF. When's the, like, do you, do you not think, like, the first thing I thought was, like, I wonder when my death has been the closest to me, you know? Because I get the vibe that they would move close to you and then move further away if, like, something intervened and you didn't pass at that particular point. And then I didn't want to think about it too much because I was like, I'm already depressed. I don't need to be more depressed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I <laughs> It depends how you think of them as well, right? Like, if they are, like, a comforting hand at the end of a long journey, that's nice. But also, if they're, like, a bit too eager, I'm imagining them just, like, popping up, like, out of blue in those moments where you think it's safe to cross the road and it isn't. Yeah. And, like, being like, oh, so close. Yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, like, you could kind of, they could be, like, a little bit of, like, a not mischievous or, like, malevolent force, but, like, maybe a bit too keen. Like, what if you're, like, a skydiver professionally? Are they just like, shit, yeah, like, <laughs> any minute now? And then disappointed every time you pull the parachute cord, like... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's interesting to think about. I love, like, any kind of um, fictional, um, what's the word? Description of death. Fictional, physical description of death, if that makes sense. When death is, like, personified, I, uh, I'm always into that. I'm so excited for you to watch or read the Sandman when it comes out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Death in That is badass. I think you'd really like her character. Um, And it looks like they've done a slightly different casting choice than you would expect from like the way she's illustrated in the graphic novels, but also looks really good from the little scenes that I've seen. And then in the graphic novel, she's great. And in the audiobook... She's voiced by, is it Kat Dennings, who was in, like, Two Broke Girls? Yeah, and yeah, and Thor. And stuff? Yeah, yeah, so it's, she's voiced by her, I think, in the audiobooks. Really good. And also, more reasons that you should get into Terry Pratchett, because all of the storylines that he's got that have death in are so great. There's one called Reaper Man, where, like, death just gets, like, a little bit of ennui and, like, <laughs> decides to go on holiday and, like, lives on a farm for a bit. It's great. It's Cute. great. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Love that. So, obviously... This, uh, these things, these beings. So, uh, there was a group of those people shaped things outside, outside, crouching on their heels and rolling dice. And when the children came near, they stood up, five of them, all men, their faces in shadow and their clothes shabby, all silent. And Will asks them a few questions and they don't answer. They like take a step backwards. They're quite like sheepish. It seems like they're afraid of them. Um, and Lyra, uh, uh, sorry, Pan is having a fucking nightmare. He's like, no, no, Lyra, no, go away. Let's go back, please. Like, he is hating it. And this is all before we find out later what who these beings are, but yeah. So my only note on that is specifically this line from Pan. I'm pretty sure it quite closely mirrors what he is saying to Lyra as she's approaching the fish hut that has little mm. Tony Macarios in it because he can, like, sense there's something wrong. And with Tony, it was that he didn't have a demon and that something was wrong there. And that they thought it was a ghost. So, like, that makes sense, right? Um, and, yeah, it's like, again, it's like Pan can sense the wrongness. And I also think one of my other notes on why Pan, as a demon, 
feels so adverse to the deaths is that like as a demon he's never supposed to actually meet them yeah he's supposed to be gone by the time lyra actually gets to see her death in person and be shepherded to the the lake or wherever the boat goes like there, there must be something like existentially wrong that it feels like because like demons are like the essence of like life and liveliness and vitality and they're like to be witnessing this thing that is like the antithesis of that is probably like feels really horrendous for pan and it's like it makes total sense that he is like absolutely not <laughs> yeah 100 percent, absolutely so they wonder they're like oh the specters no like are we old enough to see specters now no because they would have been attacked um and a man comes out of one of the shacks and asks who they are and he's like looking around them for something he asks them did you see any death and they're they're like no like no 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 one and then they kind of look like disappointed will's like death we're not we're not bringing any death like oh no we come in peace we come in peace but then they look like sad and annoyed that he's not brought death (laughs) and that's where you start to question like what what's going on here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then lyra she does a lot of big old lyras in this chapter she does i i my note is lyra (laughs) comes in with her best lyra politeness yeah lyra does a lyra speech very lyra of her is what i wrote yeah it's very lyra (laughs) it's um she cracks in as many excuse me's and oh i couldn't help this and oh i'm sorry for asking if it's rude beg your pardon like oh begging your pardon sir yeah very like I would I would just find her annoying. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but like, she seems, you know, overly polite and is in some way endearing enough, at least that they seem to be kind of, it takes them off their guard a little bit around them. <laughs> yeah, she kind of explains who they are, that, they, that everyone in her world has a demon, etc. The man asks if the spies are their demons, and I bet they fucking loved that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lyra then like holds off expl- she was like she almost said that they were their servants but thought that might not go down too well and it's like yeah Lyra can you st- stop belittling them so there's an interesting theme that runs through this chapter of so Lyra she doesn't say the servant thing because she thinks that it's a bad idea she says it because she thinks Will thinks it will be a bad idea and this happens more than once in this chapter she's very aware of what Will thinks of her and I just want our babe Lyra to tread a little bit carefully because it's a slippery slope from when you start doing stuff like this for somebody else and not for yourself so she's kind of editing herself in a way because she thinks that Will won't like it and in fairness, a lot of the things that she's doing, probably when she checks herself and does something different, probably the right thing to do at the <laughs> at the time. But I would like her to think that for herself rather than just be like, oh, I'm not going to do this because Will won't like it. Yeah, just because the Will version is the sensible version doesn't mean that she can't have those thoughts without it being related to Will. Um, I just think it's real, like crush energy yeah like, for sure it's she's just she, like everything she does she's kind of having a little think about like oh does this make me look good in front of my crush or not mm-hmm. vibes yeah, yeah a little bit it's cute yeah but yeah yeah i agree with you then we get to like we uh the man lets them into the house they kind of like have this little discussion once lyra's introduced everybody 
Um, and the man's just like, eh, I suppose these are strange times. Come in and be welcome. And they come in and are met with a room that has a great description that I know that you really want to read. So, <laughs> so I'm not going to read the whole description. I just sent Rachel a voice note yesterday being like, oh my God, if you draw some, when you draw something for this chapter, please can you draw this if it's not too complicated. So... There was an iron stove against one wall with a close horse in front of it where some dingy shirts were steaming. And on a dressing table, there was a shrine of plastic flowers, seashells, coloured scent bottles and other gaudy bits and pieces all surrounding the picture of a jaunty skeleton with a top hat and dark glasses. Why is there a picture of a jaunty skeleton with a top hat and dark glasses? I love it. I love it. I'm wondering if it's either a source or if it's coming from the same source as the like, um, there's like pictures on the walls that are cut out from magazines. If it's the same source as that and they've just gone, well, we're in the land of the dead, we might as well embrace it, let's put that up. Or if it has more significance there, because what it draws to mind for me and that you also mentioned here was um, the Alteras de Muertos or Offerendas, which is a big part of the Days of the Dead and uh, altars that you set up that are celebrating the lives of and calling to um, your ancestors and deceased loved ones. Um, and it has very much that energy because it is very much to do with like little offerings and like bright colours and um, that kind of thing. It also harks for me, especially the skeleton imagery, to um, Memento Mori, which is like a very Victorian thing that is literally just like, remember death is always there. Um, and that's why, like, Victorians fucking loved, like, some gothic shit. Like, they really loved the, like, yeah, skeletal imagery and stuff. So I think maybe it's kind of like a mashup of those two as to, like, why it's the skeleton with all the, like, stuff that feels much more um, Day of the Dead and stuff that feels quite memento mori all mashed together. Yeah, for sure. Also, you mentioned the film stars bit, which made me think, and it, it's a little bit more muddy now. We've had the conversation of like, which world does this does it does this relate to all the worlds? Does it relate to just one? What film stars are we seeing here? Is it like your Brad Pitts and your fucking? Why well, can't I think of any actresses? Jennifer Aniston. Let's just go back to the nineties because I can't think <laughs> Let's of any. Just go. Brad and Jen. Yeah, Brad and Jen. You know, you know Brad and Jen. Uh, or is it like actors from another world? Is it Audrey Hepburn? Is it? But yeah. is it like completely different, like people that we don't know because they're from a different world? Like, who, what are the, who are these film stars? Yeah. If it is a world of dead people attached to the same world of people that you would think if they, if it is world specific, it would be attached to the world that they cut through to, to do their grocery shopping in. Yeah. Um, which... I don't think those people had demons, although it is never clearly stated, but like pretty sure it's not Lyra's world because Will knows what that feels like. And the vibe of that world was like much more like old school. Maybe that's just because it was a farm cottage though. But like the fact that there was like an army and like a burning town and like it was much more farming. I, I get the impression they've not got films there, but maybe they do. Maybe they do. Yeah, weird, right? It's just film stars of a different world. Um... Yeah, really hard to work out. Mm -hmm. Also, when it says like magazines and films, I'm like, am I picturing like a black and white picture of like Audrey Hepburn or like Mae West or someone? Or is it 
Brangelina, like I went. Is why, it why like the gossip magazine? It's like well, it's like gossip magazine stuff. Is it like oh my god? Like yeah, I went I'm to like gossip magazine stuff. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> I'm imagining the walls plastered with like hot or not bikini pictures yeah, 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 and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But it's like no, yeah. not the trash. Yeah, <laughs> like the the like epitome of like trash journalism, just like all over their walls. Yeah. Also, why do you lo- apparently love Brad Pitt? I don't know why. <laughs> oh, I don't love him. He's just overdone in the zeitgeist of trashy magazines i think i don't love him either but he was fucking great in interview with a vampire so we'll give him that interview with a vampire so good Mm -hmm. little baby kirsten dunst oh she oh she is fucking phenomenal in that so good oh Mm -hmm. she's so good did you see they're making a tv series (gasps) no Mm -hmm. they're making an interview with a vampire tv series i think i love that it's such a good it looks like vampire diaries levels of production values and drama so we'll see how we go Mm -hmm. but (laughs) Mm-hmm. yes um, okay so there's a really nice description here of grandma and her death which we mentioned earlier in a heap of blankets a very old woman was lying and watching everything with glittering eyes and a face as wrinkled as the blankets as lyra looked at her she had a shock the blanket stirred and a very thin arm emerged in a black sleeve and then another face a man's so ancient it was almost a skeleton in fact, he looked more like the skeleton in the picture than like a living human being. And then Will too noticed, and all the travellers together realised that he was one of those shadowy, polite figures like the ones outside. And all of them felt as nonplussed as a man had been when he'd first seen them. Yeah. Oh, grandma and a death. And they're like big pals as well, which I like, because she speaks a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder, because all the others are basically silent... I wonder if her death is able to speak because it's closer to her time. Yeah. And therefore he's like stronger and more confident because he's got a closer relationship with his person. Yeah. I think we do hear some of the others like murmur, don't we? But we don't hear them like properly speak or like anything. Yeah. Lyra does another Lyra. (laughs) It's very, very polite, this chapter. Like it's too much. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Good evening. We're very pleased to be here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, she needs to turn it down a notch, in my uh, humble opinion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they like sit down while like the woman in the house makes some stew. Um, and also, what is it with adults offering children booze in this book? Why does this keep happening? Because like the guy, yeah. like he offers them some Jennifer, 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 which Jennifer. I googled. I'm sure we googled it when mm. it very first came up because Lyra remembers it as being like the, the Egyptians, Jennifer drink. And I just re-Googled it to be sure. And Jennifer is a, it's got a few different names, but it's also known as Dutch gin. And it's a juniper flavoured liqueur. Ooh, or li- liquor, liqueur. I don't know the difference between a liquor and a liqueur. I feel like liquor, in my brain, this is how I separate them. I have no idea if this is right. Liquor is like hard, like like your vodkas and all that kind of stuff. Liqueur, I see as being more like, it's got like some kind of flavour into it. Like it's maybe mm. like sweet or something. Do you know what I mean? But I could okay. be wrong. I'm just making that up. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying shit. I'm just going by how the words <laughs> sound in my head and how I, I personally separate them, but it could be very wrong. Mm-hmm. Feel free to correct me, people. The Galavespians dip their own little drinking cups in to also have a drink. Everybody gets to have alcohol, I guess, when you're in the, the world of the dead or the suburbs of the dead. Kind of all the rules go out the window, probably. Yeah, yeah. This is where we learn that these figures are their deaths. And 
the sen- there's a sentiment here of so from Lyra, Will, etc., that it'd be fucking terrifying if your death was near you all the time. And the man says, "Well, I'd be more nervous not having my death near me. It's actually more comforting to have it near me." I do not agree. <laughs> I would rather not know. I'm definitely in the in the realm of I would just not want to know where it is. Thanks. I don't know. It depends how you feel about it, right? Because like, there's such a thing in like so many narratives of like, oh. If you fear death too much, you can't live your life to the fullest. Like you have to have a certain level of like acceptance that the worst could happen tomorrow. So you need to live life to the fullest today. So maybe that's the same kind of energy. But I feel like I'd be able to live life to my fullest not having my death near me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if it's an actual creepy little fucker that you can see. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Exactly. But like metaphorically, (laughs) maybe it makes sense. But yeah, no, I know. I know what you mean. Um, Yeah. And we learned from from him that like seeing Lyra and Will and the Galavespians without their deaths is kind of akin to how Lyra feels when she sees people without their demons. Like it's something fundamental is missing here. What's wrong? They learn that in order to move on they have to wait for their deaths to tell them that it's time to go um so as we kind of like one of the things that we have here is the kind of discussing the nature of it whether you want it close or if it's scary or not and um we get a lovely little description from the man it feels very pragmatic actually um and lyra is asking where do we go then when we die he says your death taps you on the shoulder or takes your hand and says, come along with me, it's time. It might happen when you're sick with a fever or when you choke on a piece of dry bread or when you fall off a high building. In the middle of your pain and travail, your death comes to you kindly and, and says, easy now, easy child, come along with me. And you go with them in a boat out across the lake into the mist. What happens there? No one knows. No one ever comes back. So like, again, it's that thing of just like, I think that exists in quite a lot of law and storytelling as well of like being in the midst of the shock of dying and the presence of death is a calming presence that shows up to shepherd you and having that being someone something that's personal to you like a demon as opposed to like an overarching death figure is like a really cool concept I think yeah definitely so the deaths then come in. They get invited into the room. They get they get called in for their dinner. Yeah, they do. Like they've been Molly. outside to play. They just sniff it as well. They can't. They yeah. don't eat it. They just sniff it. They like to sniff it. You don't. We learn. You don't know when they'll they tell you it's going to be your time to go. They are actually like easy to forget. It's easy to forget that they're there. Will and Lyra are like drawn to them at first because they're like, what are these things? But then they're very easy to just like. You know, they're still there, but they're not. Yeah, they blend into the scenery yeah. quite quickly. Yeah. The the family there, while they're eating their dinner, kind of ask the children where they've come from, what their world was like. And Lyra is like a big old knuckle crack. This fucking um, story. This story. Yeah. It's like... So steeped in fairy tale references, it's ridiculous. Oh, my God. She's like, I'll tell you about that. And as she said that, she uh, she took charge. Part of herself felt a little stream of pleasure rising up within her breast like bubbles in champagne. She knew Will was watching mm. and she was happy that he could see her doing what she was best at, doing it for him and for all of them. She's like, yeah, I'm going to lie. <laughs> I love it. It's like built up to be this like really noble thing. It's like, yes, I'm going to do this thing. Oh, my God, I'm feeling so good about it. Everyone's going to be so impressed. Oh, I'm lying. I'm just going to lie. 
Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, my mum's the my mum's the queen and my dad's the king and I've got a fortune. And then there was like a sea monster that ate them and an evil baddie that got them. But then we escaped and then they died. And like, it's just like Lyra. He's she's that. It sounds like the story a child would tell if you sit them down with a bunch of toys and say, tell a story. And they, like, pick from all the fairy tales yeah. they know. And like, also poor Roger getting, like, a very unceremonious death yet again. <laughs> like, every time. Pull yeah. one out for Roger. <laughs> and then, like, Will gets an epic backstory. Yeah. But I love that, like, um, Sally gets into it and starts, like, interjecting and, like, nodding along and, like, adding stuff. And she's like, I guess we're from the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. <laughs> it is great. It is great. But it's oh, just like God. this whole other book that Phil could have written, but I'm very glad he didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know? yeah. As far as backstories go, Lyra's actual one is better. Will was raised by wolves. Love that. <laughs> like, Love that. He got a little jungle bucket. I personally, in. as Will, would feel a little bit awkward when Lyra started talking about how I was suckled by a female Dude. wolf. Oh, uh, my God. I'm like, too specific. <laughs> Thanks very much. Too specific. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lyra, can you stop talking about my imaginary wolf mother's nipples, actually? It's far too it's far too far. <laughs> I know we're friends, but we're not that close. Yeah. It's like that's really fucking funny though, isn't it? It's like if you were telling a story and then just randomly started telling you how this child was fed. <laughs> like I, I I I okay. But again, so it, like you were saying, loads of references in there with like fairy tales and stuff, because they're like raised by wolves thing. It's like uh, Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome. That's a whole thing that's from legend. And then we get like some of her actual personal mythology with like the Oxford stuff that comes in with the brick burners and the clay beds and stuff. And like the yeah, the vibe of they're gonna the kids would get roasted and eaten, very Hansel and Gretel vibes. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Um, she's heard some stories this one for sure she cracks out a Davy Jones's locker reference like yeah she's very on it and sure <laughs> I also feel like everybody's listening and they're like she's, it says they're taking it in but like I think they're just like it's just it's like having the TV on isn't yeah. it <laughs> yeah you know it's nice to have a bit of background noise yeah. while you're eating <laughs> Yeah. yeah 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 basically um and she kind of comes to the end of it with like the reason which is a really shit reason the re- and so the reason they have to go to the world of the dead is because her imaginary parents are dead and that they she has to find out where the family fortune's buried so the reason that they need to go there is entirely for greed and wealth and it's like why would they help you then yeah exactly but like why can't she just tell them the truth because it's lyra I- <laughs> true because we need to put a pin in it because Mm. her instinct to immediately spin a yarn may be a stumbling point further down the line perhaps we're setting up some hubris here pins in it pins okay yes (laughs) so they then ask how they can get across the water like can they like hire a boat and then well i feel like i'm just like Oh, yeah, yeah, you just call a taxi. <laughs> the reason we've not done it yet is because we didn't think of that. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. <laughs> so this is where Grandma's death speaks up. Yeah. And he says, The only way you'll cross a lake and go to the land of the dead is with your own deaths. You must call up your own deaths. I have heard of people like you who keep your deaths at bay. You don't like them, and out of courtesy, they stay out of sight. But they're not far off. 
Whenever you turn your head, your deaths dodge behind you. Wherever you look, they hide. They can hide in a teacup, in a teacup or in a dewdrop, or in a breath of wind. Not like me and old Magda here, he said, and he pinched her with a cheek and she pushed his hand away. We live together in kindness and friendship. That's the answer. That's it. That's what you've got to do. Say welcome, make friends, be kind. Invite your deaths to come close to you and see what you can get them to agree to. Which is interesting. I get the impression that actually he's quite patronising to Magda and Magda would uh, like to pass over at some point soon, actually. Don't fucking touch me, actually. Get my fucking cheek. Yeah. So I like how terrified Will and Lyra are of this statement that he's just made. They're like, absolutely not. But then they ask how, and it's like you've just got to wish for it to be done and think how easy that is, especially as a kid. It's like that thinking about it thing again, isn't it? It's like oh, well, if you tell me to think about it, I'm going to think about it. If you tell me to wish for my death to be here, I'm going to obviously do that. But also, like, it is that, and it, it is it that? Do you have to actually mean it? That's the thing. Because it doesn't just happen immediately. Lyra's death only appears to her when she has very passionately argued about why she needs them. Yeah, that's true. And probably genuinely means it. So I think there is a certain level of it. It's not just... um let it be a thought that enters your head and they won't be scared. But I think they need, like, your death needs to know that you genuinely yeah. want to see them, which yeah. I think is like, hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Tally is not happy. He's fucking fuming. <laughs> and I get it. I do actually get this. Because, like, it does feel like this is such a huge thing. Like, this is such a huge life-changing thing to, like, be faced with your death. And I do actually get that he would be like, whoa, actually, this has gone too far now. Shit is getting a bit too real, actually. Like, I know you want to go and apologise to your friend, but everybody killing themselves is a little bit too far to go. Yes. You know? <laughs> and they go outside to chat, and I love that Tally's like, oh, he's got a... Uh, she says to them that Tally's got to go and talk to his friends on the moon. <laughs> just got to go outside, just to... Talk to my moon friends, don't yeah. mind me. And like Lyra can sense what he's feeling. Um and that he tells her to like stop. The agreement should not reach these lengths. Um and he like full on goes in on her. He loses it. He says, You're a thoughtless, irresponsible, lying child. Fantasy comes so easily to you that your whole nature is riddled with dishonesty, and you don't even admit the truth when it stares you in the face. Well, if you can't see it, I'll tell you plainly. You cannot, you must not risk your death. You must come back with us now. I'll call Lord Asriel and we can be safe in the fortress in hours. Lol at the notion that they would be safe in Asriel's fortress. No. Yeah. Just just don't take a back to Dad's house because he's a shit dad. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> love Lyra's response here. You don't know me. Yeah, he tells her off for being dishonest <laughs> and then she is very honest here. Mm -hmm. But it also, she says a lot about her mind. She says, you don't know what I've got in my head. And she says it a few times in different ways. And it really made me think of, there's a line in, I'm going to reference Paramore again, in Rose Coloured Boy by Paramore, which is one mm -hmm. of my favourite Paramore lyrics ever. And it's just simply, boy, you ain't ever seen my mind. And this is very that. It's like, how fucking dare you? Like, you don't know what I have inside me and you, you can assume it, but you don't know it. And like, I just love, I love, I love this bit. I do. I think, go Lyra. 
Yeah, it very much like puts words to like the frustration that you feel when somebody's underestimating you or like, yeah, assuming, again, assuming your motives are shallow in some way. Like it's, yeah, I think it's really important. And I do think you're right in terms of the, like I was saying, the quote at the beginning of the chapter. I think this is it. I think this is them speaking their, um, what is it? Their, um, their wrath. Their wrath. Mm-hmm. They're both speaking their wrath right now and like getting it done. <laughs> Which I think is really important. Yeah, definitely. Also, why does Lyra hate things that lay eggs? Or just hate eggs in general? Because she's like, she's like, I bet you lay eggs because you're so horrible. <laughs> like, what? I mean, I think she's implying that birds and snakes can't be good mums. So, rude. or parents, which is quite frankly very rude. Very but yeah, rude. May- maybe she had a bad experience with an omelette one time. That yeah. probably put her uh, off, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure also why does tally think that he has the authority to punish her he's like i should punish you like right uh, excuse me who the fuck are you it's definitely like uh he is used to being able to threaten people with the fact that he is like by nature incredibly poisonous yeah and and then lyra's like we'll fucking do it then and she like holds her hand I out love that yeah <laughs> which is just like are you gonna are you gonna smack me fucking smack me then it's that like moment in a fight where you're like go on yeah yeah, yeah. you're like oh no <laughs> for sure yeah she <laughs> she then like goes in on him as well she calls him a pr- you proud selfish creature uh so you want to kill me you hard man you strong man you poison bearer you chevalier you do it go on kill me and then me and roger can play in the land of the dead forever and laugh at you you pitiful thing <gasps> oh my yeah. god when she says she's like the line where she's just like you got no idea what's in my heart you proud selfish creature you got no notion of how sad and wicked and sorry about my friend roger i am you kill people just like that she says snapping her fingers they don't matter to you but it's a torment and sorrow to me that i never said goodbye to my friend and it's like that idea that is like he is a military person that and a spy and he has this like deadly weapon so easily at access to him and seems to be cold and pragmatic about his use of it that her really pointing that out as a thing of being like i'm so sad about the person that i lost that i am willing to traverse worlds literal worlds to be able to see them again and you kill people with like the snap of a finger or the click of your heels like you don't even think twice about it and it's, i just think oh, it's a very cool comparison like with especially because Lyra's currently still getting away with having not killed anybody. Yeah. And like Will, who likes to think quite often about all of his murders that he thinks he did. <laughs> Tally is fucking livid. But before anything can happen, there's a voice behind Lyra and it's her death. Lyra's death is here. Mm-hmm. The death stood very close, smiling kindly, his face exactly like those of all the others she'd seen. But this was hers, her very own death. And Pantalaemon at her breast howled and shivered and his ermine shape flowed up around her neck and tried to push her away from the death. But by doing that, he only pushed himself closer and realising it, he shrank back towards her again to her warm throat and the strong pulse of her heart. I can just really imagine like a really scrambly pan, like trying to push Lyra, but realises he's pushing his body back and he's like, oh, fuck. It's like, yeah, when a cat, like if you're holding a cat and they just decide they're done and they try and get away from you and they like push all their limbs, like their legs against your body and you're like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Lyra talks to her death. Mm-hmm. Tally fucks off to send Azrael a text. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dear Azrael, Lyra's been really mean to me, actually. <laughs> Please, can you tell your child to stop being rude? <laughs> Absolutely not. So 
Lyra then here says that she wants to go to the land of the dead, but she doesn't want to die. She says, I love being alive. I love my demon. And she knows that demons can't go there. Um, do they have demons in the land of the dead? No, your demon vanishes into the air and you vanish under the ground. She wants to take Pan with her. Of course she does. And I want to come back again. Has it ever been done? Not for many, many ages. Who did it? Who did it before? That's what I want to know. I'm wondering if it is like the legends and stuff from different stories. Because like, for example, Hades Town. Yeah. Um, is it... Eurydice? Orpheus and Orpheus, Eurydice. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Orpheus goes goes to Hades to get Eurydice and bring her back. Like, that's a whole thing. Like, there are legends of people going to the lands of the dead for their lost loves, like, throughout hist- history. So, yeah. Again, even just that story, the, the thing of, like, turning back, will send her back. I'm just like, God, so clever. Mm-hmm. So clever. Why did you turn back? Hades Town the musical. Watch it. It's oh, really good. So good. So fucking <laughs> so good. good. Yes, incredible. So, Pan won't be with her in death, and that is fucking devastating. And, like, we knew this already, but, like, we'd never... Like, personally, I'd never thought about what that meant. We know that demons disappear, but then you're supposed to go... Because she's, like... Her death is, like, being really polite and very kind and gentle and saying, like, I'll be with you, and you've known me all all your life, and you'll know me and you'll love me. And she's like, I don't fucking know you. Like, I want Pan. It's like... Um, I'm your special devoted friend who's been beside you every moment of your life who knows you better than yourself and I was like but Pan's my special and devoted friend I don't know you I know Pan I love Pan and I'm like oh we love Pan too but like the fact that he's like I'll be your best friend she's like I've already got a best friend and Death's probably like "Um, it's a tear not a title actually Um, we know this um (laughs) I like that her death is really like trying to understand when she's like screaming about Pan and like being really upset. It's like nodding politely, like gently, like trying to understand. They just seem really gentle and lovely. They're like most patient, (laughs) which I guess makes a lot of sense, right? If they spend their entire Mm. existence waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So she lies again here to her death. She's like, oh, I've got like a mission and an angel gave it to me and that's why I have to go there. She, wouldn't her death know that she's lying? My note on this was Lyra thinks she's lying, but we've theorised multiple times in this podcast that like Lyra's mission to go and sit, talk to Roger feels very small compared to the prophecy about her True. that exists. And like while I don't she doesn't think that an angel she thinks she's lying and that an angel's given her this task we know that dust and angels through Mary angels given Mary a task to guide Lyra to her purpose and that there is angelic forces guiding Lyra on this journey like so I feel like she's lying but she doesn't realize she's telling the truth here that like there is a task that only she can do that is being guided by dust and angels yeah that's really interesting I didn't think about it like that yeah. yeah. But also her death's probably just like, bitch, I just told you I know you. Like, I know you're going to lie to me. <laughs> Obviously, I'll do what you want because, like, you're my person. Yeah. <laughs> I like this next line here of, behind her, Tally put away his instrument and sat watching the child plead with her own death to be taken where no one should go. Mm-hmm. It feels like the same kind of line that Phil really enjoys using whenever someone's with Yorick and when he's like, the boy and the girl and the bear. Yeah. Or like the small girl and the giant bear, like the just the image in front of you of like the child 
going where no one should go. Like just a real, he loves to remind us that these characters are children and that the imagery there is really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So her death says that she he can take her to the land of the dead, but she ha- she'll have to find her own way back. And she's like, yeah, all right, cool. And then her and Tally make friends, basically. She's like, because she knows that she got her own way. That's why. I love that line. She's like, Lyra knew that it was time to conciliate. And she was happy to do that, having gotten her way. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, me too. I'm always really good at making up after I've, I've got my own way. <laughs> this is the thing, though, isn't it? Because I was thinking about that. And I was like, in myself, when I'm like at my, like I suppose, worst, or I'm like having a bad day with stuff like that, I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry about what happened because I've got my own way. I can totally be like that. And I think Mm -hmm. it's definitely a a trait that a lot of people can have because it's like, well, I know I'm right, so sorry. (laughs) Sorry that I did everything right and got exactly what I wanted and that you were definitely wrong. (laughs) I've never done anything wrong in my life ever, actually. (laughs) Sorry that I'm perfect and you are intrinsically flawed. Yeah, yeah. Oops. (laughs) Um... So her death then tells her to go down to the jetty at first light. And, oh, Pan? Pan. He's had a really rough chapter. He's getting a lot of descriptions again. He said said one line and then he's just had a really bad time. Yeah, so I'll just read this, the last paragraph to end the chapter. But Pantalaemon was trembling and shivering and nothing Lyra could do could soothe him into stillness or or quieten the soft little moan he couldn't help uttering. So her sleep was broken and shallow on the floor of the shack with all the other sleepers and her death sat watchfully beside her. And that is the end of that chapter. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a great chapter. I fucking love that chapter so much. I love that chapter. Mm-hmm. It's super goth. It's super spooky. I love being introduced to like a new like entity but that fits so well into this world because like everything we've had has i don't know like specters made so much sense when we met them demons made so much sense when we met them and now the deaths make so much sense having met them with like the way the world is built yeah it's just very cool (laughs) it's really cool what is the what's the next chapter called climbing oh Oh, we're going climbing nice yeah Excellent. Yes. Do you have an award to give out? My award this week is for Pan because he bloody needs it. Yeah. He's had a right time. Oh, he has. He has. I would maybe have given it to a death, but if Pan hadn't had such a shit time, but he needs he needs something to like get him through. <laughs> yeah. So because I've given Pan quite a few awards recently, although I do agree he deserves one, I've gone for Lyra's death to give an award to because I just really liked how they were trying to like be gentle and like understand her predicament with Pan and you know they have been there watching over her, her whole life whether she knows it or not. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna give it to Lyra's death. Nice, nice, a good choice. Something that I failed to mention mid episode um was do we think so the two examples we've had so far of the deaths have been much like the demons the hard quotes opposite gender to the person that therefore lyra's death is a she's referred to him as a gentleman and like the same with the old lady in bed her like death is a guy but then like the people in the room it sounded 
like quite a lot of the deaths were male, actually. It said, I can't remember if this was, a de- I think this was a description where they see the figures for the first time. So they're not the deaths for the people that we end up spending time with. But it did say all men. But that could just be because they were all women in that particular place because we didn't yeah. see them. So I wonder whether are all, are all deaths male? Yeah, regardless. So we've not met. We haven't met a female death. No. And I don't think there's a mention of the people that are waiting outside that get called in. We don't get a description of them. People shaped beings we get. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to find out what we do with that because we know that Phil loves to pop a little gender binary on things. So I wonder what he's doing with deaths. Yeah, interesting. Hey, folks. Just like how we gave out some awards, I want to talk to you about some rewards. Yeah, it's the review spiel time where I tell you that we are actually pretty close to our counter. We've had a few people email in recently being like, oh, I don't know if you've reached the quota yet. We haven't. We're like really close to it though. Uh, So the deal is leave us a positive review. Uh, screenshot that review and send it over to us in an email at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com and that screenshotted email review thing becomes an entry into a prize draw when we get 50 entries we'll pull 10 names out of a hat one person will get a super fun up-to-date merch pack with like our bookmarks and stickers and all of our like 2d merch and the other nine of you will get some super cool hdm pod bookmarks Yes. Yeah. Say nice things, give us five stars, all the stuff. You know it by now. But it helps if you don't fancy leaving a review or you can't, uh, if it's not your jam, you can recommend us to a His Dark Materials loving friend. That would be awesome. Spread the word, help us spread the word. We just want, we, we would like to continue growing um, mm-hmm. because we love doing this. Um, so yeah help us out help us out you can also help us out if you can by joining our patreon uh, which Rach already said is patreon.com slash hdmpod and you can buy some merch which is you can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop those are the three ways that you can help us out so yeah we'd love it we'd love it if you did hey Faye do you want to know something exciting yes there's 38 chapters in this book, mm-hmm. and this was chapter 19. We are at the halfway point. Oh my God, halfway through. We're, well, we're over halfway because we've done 19. Yeah. The next chapter is beyond the halfway point. Wow. Go us. Yeah, yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> Just we're doing it. Love throwing it. that in at the end there. <laughs> halfway through the third book. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod, and you can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Fair, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and her death, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. 
I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and death, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories. And all will be well. Spooky chapter, yay! Oh yeah.